0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is where the Lord, please be seated.: All right, thank you uh, thank you, James. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, yeah, it's good to be with you all this morning. I uh, I typically do the bulk of the Preaching, and if you're new or you haven't heard me um, before, I just want to give you all a, a heads up. I have a speech impediment; it'll kind of come in and out as uh, as we go, and so I want to make sure that y'all know um, where that's where that's coming from. And so we're going to get into our time here pretty quickly this morning. Though I thought about um, saying, you know, the fact that we don't have daylight savings time here, but others do. Like maybe we could just take that on and give us an extra hour. So. No, this is that time of year twice a year where we just we just go uh, with it, and the, everyone else in in everyone else just around you know struggles and skips out on things and oversleeps or whatever, and we just cruise right we don 't even know anything about that in fact, my wife 's in my first time we moved to California from Arizona, and the first time it happened, we skipped out on church. We missed, we honestly showed up, and it was over. We, because we were like, wait, what? <laughs> Changed our clocks? Um, so anyway, thankfully, we don't have any of that here going on. So we're going to get into it here pretty quickly. We've got a ton to cover. So we're in Daniel chapter 2 and 3 this morning. So as you can see there, there there's a lot for us to get into. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bible together and we'll get into it. And if you don't have a copy of God's word with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Okay, We want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's word to follow along with. So again, if you don't have it, uh, hold your hand up high, keep it up, and somebody will get you one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en... Daniel, capitulo dos y tres. Um, and again, this is our gift to you, okay? So keep it and make it your own. And I'll put your name in it and ask questions and put, you know, things in there in the margins, especially this morning. Just a heads up, again, we've got a ton to cover, okay? So as I said earlier, I got to stutter, so I'm going to have to try to talk really fast, so pray with me and for me that uh, this will go well. And... Um, Also, put on your seatbelt and perhaps even like a helmet, if you got one, because <laughs> there's a lot we're going to be getting into this morning. As, we, as we've as we said before, this is kind of a time where we kind of lay ourselves before, the, uh, before God's word, specifically through the book of Daniel, which is, he's, he was a prophet, and, and, and prophet doesn't just mean predicting the future, but means calling God's people to faithfulness. And this morning especially, I think, is appropriate for us together as God's people to lay lay before God's word, and kind of invite cultural commentary on who we are, on where we are, and, and, and uh, how we're engaging with the cultures around us as God's people, all right? So let's pray and, and ask the Lord to really uh, oversee our time here together. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as, as, as we see in your word, you say that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, your word, endures forever. And Lord, even as we just heard in the scripture reading from Daniel chapter 2, Lord, you set up kings and rulers, and you establish and change seasons, and, and Lord, um, again, all this is true, that your word is an, is an um, unchanging foundation, Lord. So with that, we pray that we would be built upon that foundation, and also that we would submit ourselves to the correction, and the, and the, and the rebuke, and the encouragement of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel is named after Daniel. And uh, the, 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 the book of Daniel is uh, his name, if you remember, was changed to Shazar. And he had three friends, right? Um, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and um, we some for some reason have adopted their babylonian names right rackshack and benny and um but daniel we still use his hebrew name but we're going to be looking at, at them again in their engagement with the babylonian kingdom all right and so where they are if you just a quick recap is the uh, the kingdom of Babylon, um, under the oversight of this king, this ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, um, would, would basically uh, go in and invade kingdoms and would, would bring back the best, the brightest, the most handsome, all this stuff, which we talked about, like, whoever got left behind is like, what does that say about me? But, but they, would, they would take those people and bring them into their their culture and basically consume. And I actually talked to a friend who, I don't know if he's here today, but I um, talked to a friend who's not from the U- U- U.S. He comes from a non-Western context and now is here and, and lives here. And, uh, and and I asked him just some of his insights and thoughts on, on some of the connection between Daniel and where we find ourselves today. And, and, and he talked about similar to... Babylon, there was this perspective of, of, of basically um, taking and even consuming other cultures and, and having this kind of open arms, yeah, come here, but, but, but we'll take what we want and then we'll reject what we don't want. And kind of, he referred to this phrase as a culture of convenience, right? Very similarly, I think, to the world that we're in, to our, our posture predominantly as um, Americans. And and then we kind of just reject. And then even he also used this phrase where we will redefine these other cultures. And that's what was going on here is that even the giving of new names and things like that was this kingdom of Babylon, saying we're gonna we're gonna change your name, all right, and we'll take what you can give us—your art, your architecture, your whatever else we can. We'll take that and we'll use that, and we'll incorporate what we want, but we'll reject and redefine whatever we want to. Okay, we're the authority, and that's where God's people find themselves in this interaction, right? And last week, as we read, we ended in chapter two that, um, that there was first an eating challenge, right? Where they were they kind of went through this whole process and then and, and, and in that time God um, revealed his power and his strength and his oversight and, and they and they didn't have to eat these foods that were sacrificed to other gods. So they got to kinda continue on as they went. But then in the in this in this next time then a, a dream came up. The this guy Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And that's where we're gonna pick up again Today, it kind of overlaps in chapter two. Well, what he did with this, right, is he had all these wise men, enchanters, different, different kind of philosophers or kind of um, different gurus, if you will. And even though through this eating challenge, right, God's people, these four, right, Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny, right, they, they, they won out and, and he was like in awe for a moment. Well, then he forgot, right, like often happens and just kind of moved on. And then some years went past, and he had this dream, this very disturbing dream, and so he got his wise men together and said, tell me what my dream meant. And they said, well, tell us what your dream was, and we'll tell you what it meant. And he's like, no, 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 don't even try to hustle me. Like you got to tell me what my dream was and then tell me what it meant because if you're truly wise people and you have this insight, then you'll be able to tell me what it was and tell me what it meant. And they're like, "No one can do that, all right?" And then um so he's like, "Okay, you know what? You're all frauds, so you're all going to die." Like actually die. And so he sets out this edict and they're all about to get killed. He goes up to Daniel, and this dude's like about to kill him. And he's like, whoa, 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 why are you about to kill me? And um, he's like, well, because you're all fakes. And he says, well, I haven't even gotten an opportunity, so let me like have a day, and, and my God can reveal this truth. And so he goes back to his friends and is like, guys, I got some bad news and some good news. Um, okay, bad news first, right? Like, okay, we're all going to die tomorrow. Um, the good news... God can do whatever he wants to do, and he might uh, reveal this to us. And so remember, we ended last week with looking at this place of coming before God desperately. So they pray together. He's like, guys, let's pray. And they say, even all night if we have to. And we talked about, again, in our day culturally, we tend to kind of burp up blessings, right? We're so used to comfort and convenience, we tend to not um, engage God with desperation, And yet they, they had to, they, they were, they knew their only hope was in God and God revealed himself um, and his power by caring for them and revealing this dream to Daniel. And then right when this dream is made known to him, that's what we read in the scripture reading this morning was Daniel's first thing, right? God revealed and he just praised him and thanked him, right? And he said some things like, God God is the one who sets up kings and brings them down, and God reveals, and God establishes, season and all this. So they, they praise God. So then he goes into Nebuchadnezzar, and he's, and he's um, going into him to say, hey, I figured out this dream, all right? So he shows up, and then pick up with me In verses 26, in verse 26, when the king sees Daniel, right, he's like, all right, I held off my edict to kill you, um, so you better have good news to me. So pick up with me, Daniel chapter 2, verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation, Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So you got to believe in that moment. The king's like, I'm about to, like, are you kidding me? He's like, "I that's what all these other fake wise men said to me and they, and I was about to, and then you tricked me. And now you're just saying the same thing, right? But Daniel says quickly, but, 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 right? Verse 28, but... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then he goes on to tell him what his dream was and what it meant. But let's pause just for a second, all right? We don't have a ton of time, but sit in this moment with me, right? They're about to die. They pray desperately before God. Verse 27, he goes in and again says the same thing which is just true, right? king, your request is crazy. No person, no matter how wise, no matter how much of an enchanter or magician or astrologer could show you the mystery that you've asked. But God. Some of the best words in scripture, but God, right? If we were a different church context right now, someone would be standing up, clapping, saying amen, right? Like, yes, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he, he alone can and has made known this mystery. God is powerful, and he has revealed this. So here's what it means. And then he goes on, and he tells um, Nebuchadnezzar what this dream means, all right? So he goes on, and he explains it. So let me just kind of set this up of what he says. Because again, we've got a couple chapters, right, to walk through. But in verses 31 through 43, and again, if you didn't raise your hand for a Bible, you should have, right? Next time, now you know. Like, read along with that, keep it, underline this stuff, because there's a lot going on there. But basically, he reveals what this dream was. And he walks through that Nebuchadnezzar saw this, 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 this dream thing that had a head of gold and then kind of chest and shoulders and arms of of silver and then a, like a torso and legs of bronze and then kind of shins of steel and feet of steel and clay, right? This crazy thing. And then this whole thing gets knocked down and he explains it to him. I, again, there's so much here going on. Let me just say, Daniel wrote this. Now, some historians would disagree, but we would say, no, this is the way God works. God reveals um, things still to come before their time, right? And so what happens here is God is explaining the next kingdoms that are the next world kingdoms that are about to be set up, all right? And so he goes there and he explains, okay, he says, he says listen, the, king, the head of gold is is you, Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar. And then he goes on and he explains this next kingdom is these two that are going to be merged together. That's the persians and the medes and then after you is going to raise up greece and if you're looking there he doesn't know the names he doesn't say greece he doesn't know stuff but he's describing exactly what happens again some historians as is often the case will say well there's no way that that could have happened so clearly that was written pseudepigraphically which means like after the fact but a, a sign to someone before it right that's like we make up these big words and things to try to explain god away amen and so that's what happens. And so like, oh, clearly that didn't happen. But we say, no, God does this kind of thing. Daniel himself said no one else could know this, but God can, right? And so God did. He revealed all this stuff. And then he says, so then the Greeks will come up. Then this other kingdom, which is Rome, will come. And its feet will be like this, steel and clay and all this stuff. And it's going to be so strong. And then that all those kingdoms are going to come crashing down. And he, and he goes on. Now, pick up with me in verse 44, this, just this incredible picture of, right, this bi- all these kingdoms, these world kingdoms, these powers are going to raise up. And then in verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, okay, a different kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw, verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, not by human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, which is like who he's talking to, right? He's like, even you, okay, and the gold, a great god has made known to the king what shall be after this can okay? not magicians not enchanters not wisdom not astrologers nothing else only god in heaven creator of all things who rules and reigns all over all things currently he's made this stuff known to you the dream is certain and its interpretation sure mic drop right? Like he's, Daniel's not even like, I think God did this. I mean, the dream was, you know, it's a little murky. I could have, right? No, he's so certain of who God is and what God has revealed. He's confident. He's standing before them knowing his life could be taken. But he just says, this is what God has made known. And so I'm going to make that known. And this is certain. And he just says it right there. And Daniel stands before this king. And then in the next moment, just look with me. I don't even think I have it up there. But King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. He paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and in incense be offered up to him. So the king, like, like he's done before, and you'll see this cycle continue. Like, do, 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 do. It's like this, like this circus that is this great kingdom of Babylon where, where the king hears this and is like... Oh, wow, your God's clearly stronger than all the others. That's amazing. How could you know that? Even though he just said, your kingdom's gonna come crashing down, Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's still like in that moment like, this is incredible, okay. And then he, so he pays homage to Daniel and does all this stuff, but it doesn't last. And it won't last the next time it happens. And the next time, and this keeps happening. But in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar sees the power and might of God displayed. And he hears about this kingdom that is not cut or established from human hands. This kingdom that's like all these others, right? The one of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and clay, all these others, and steel. But this other kingdom that's seemingly small, that's cut out from a mountain, but not by human hands, by only God, and crashes all these others down. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, for a moment, believes, but nothing changes. So what does this say for us today? All right, as we now get into this time, we talked about this as kind of a cultural critique, if you will, of where we're at. As we talked about this, perhaps you've you've, you've thought of or brought to mind some of the similarities to where we find ourselves in our day. Imagine the king, he has this crazy dream, finally it gets revealed to him, but He struggles to really believe it on a heart level. And things go on and nothing really changes. So what we're going to talk about today as we get into this is we look at some of the similar cultural idolatries of their day that are similar to our day. And the first one we're going to look at is consumerism. And look with me again, if we struggle to see here, Babylon, right? We read Babylon and we think, ah, ancient kingdom clearly no longer exists. Of course you would believe kingdoms rise up, kingdoms fall. Kingdoms rise up, kingdoms fall. That happened back then, so far away, doesn't relate anything to our day today. Well, one of the seven wonders of the world was the hanging gardens of Babylon, right? There's this image right here that I want us to see that obviously there weren't like pictures, Instagram, whatever, that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar have. But this is a depiction of the kind of kingdom that Daniel was giving this prophecy within. Okay, imagine... So that thing in the background, by the way, again, we don't have time to go into all this stuff, but that's a depiction of... Um, some of you guys know from Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, which... I don't know, you might have heard all kinds of different things with that. In short, this was the kind of culture that that was talking about was in Nebuchadnezzar's time in Babylon, where they built these things, which was meant to be a tower that reached into the heavens, which clearly communicated, we don't need God to come to us, because we can go to Him whenever we want. We can go up and down. We don't need this God that your Bible speaks of. We don't need some God that can just, that that, that we need to submit to in this way. We are so great. In fact, we make bricks, and again, we don't have time for this, guys. We, We make bricks that we stamp our own, that Nebuchadnezzar's face and his seal was stamped on these bricks. So this idea was, I'm so powerful, I'm so great, I'm so smart. We can get to God we don't need him to come to us we're not made in his image we build things in our image and look at this look at these gardens look at this this these these what there was incredible so this stuff is high level okay it's not just silly and antiquity right ancient people that are no there is incredible architecture engineering art going on here so understandably, right, Nebuchadnezzar and all his people hear these prophecies and are like, this kingdom's going to come crashing down? <laughs> like, all right, cool. Yeah, that explains my dream, but I mean, really? Like, uh, uh, how? How is how's something from a mountain going to topple all this down? How is some, some kingdom by not cut by human hands going to break this down? Okay, imagine... Uh, like put ourselves in their shoes. And so Daniel gives this prophecy and explains it, but he says, no, this kingdom that's coming is far different. Again, I think one of the things that very clearly, and we'll see even as we get into chapter three in a moment, guys, this, it, should be, it should be like in a me- megaphone level, seeing the similarities to our day. Of, of hearing things, hearing God's call about what it means to be as faithful people. Hearing warnings about the temptations to, to go to the left or to the right. in Jesus talking about the, the, the path that leads to righteousness that is narrow and difficult. And yet we're just like cruising in a low r- rider on this wide lane that's really easy. And we're like, well, no, this isn't that hard. Like, and, then, and then we turn things into hard or difficult that really aren't, right? We, like, say, man, we're getting persecuted right now. This, like, for me, the notes that I preach from on my iPad, the home button doesn't work. So I have to go through a little extra step to bring up my notes. Satan's trying to trip me up right now. And, you know... <laughs> The world out there is probably, you know, like we just, we create these narratives that set us up for failure when real persecution comes and when the reality of the world that we're living in comes, comes, comes into collision with the kingdom of God. Okay, so let's for a moment again consider the consumerism and the world that we find ourselves in. The polluted waters that we swim in that we just adopt and don't even recognize are influencing us in so many ways So consumerism, okay, let me be clear here for a moment, all right, as we get into some of these isms, right, the ism is the problem, okay, so hear me for a moment, okay, consuming is not bad, right, you consume, how many of you consumed something this morning, all right, and others, you're thinking that's all you can think about right now, it's like, I'm in college, you can tell I didn't do my hair, I just woke up, rolled in here, um, all the coffee was gone, so now I'm mad and bitter and even regretting that I came to this church in the first place and um, you know whatever hey communion's going to be that much better all right like um, so right we consume we were created by God to consume we're created as dependent beings consuming's not bad having things rejoicing celebrating God's creativity and His goodness by the things that we take in right for nourishment that's but when we turn that and we replace God with it. When consuming something that God has given now replaces God, that's when we have a massive problem. That's idolatry, orienting our lives around anything or anyone else other than our God, our good creator, who's created us to depend on him for our purpose and our identity and all that we are and all that we do. Amen? so consumerism is for a moment Let's just stop and consider what consumerism looks like in our lives. Stuff. Right? Like consider cultural liturgies. Okay, I don't say that word that often because I struggle with it every time. And I hope it's going to be different. But, right, what that word means is, right, we have one here as a church, right? And some of you that come from the Catholic church or high church, you, you know that word more. But it's, it, it means what, what we do when we gather together this, the order that we walk through, right? So consider the cultural liturgy of shopping at the mall, Right, what we go through when we do that. We park, we go in, what kind of stores, right? We go to, we find where that store is, we, we, right? What kind of things are on the window, the call to worship, right? That's there. You come by, oh, that outfit looks good on that mannequin that clearly no human actually looks like, but, you know, I'm going to go in and learn a little more about it. And and, and we, we go through these processes together. Right, and now some of us I know are like, I don't even know what a mall is. Malls, you know, every day on my app, I see that, you know, another Sears or Kmart is closing down, right? That's just because they're not keeping up with the times, right? They don't know these other ways to go, they don't have, you know, Amazon or whatever, but it's the same idea. It's ultimately leading us to a place where we need to consider. How do my shopping practices contradict the faith that I confess? I sing songs that say, you know, God, you are enough. That, that say there's, there's, there's nothing else I need but you. There's nothing I long for but you. But then when push comes to shit, right, it's coming up on the holidays right now. Oh, once I get this, oh, I know I've been saving up my gifts from my parents. Even adults even do this, okay, by the way. Like, we're like, yeah, I might be 40 right now, but my parents still owe me some gifts. And so I've been thinking about what they can get to make my life better, you know, and what, what will finally meet my need. You know, I've got the, these jeans are looking old and f- f- faded. I'm, gonna, I'm saving up, right? I want, there's this gift card I want. There's this. And again, like those things in and of themselves, like buying new clothes, whatever's not bad, but, but do we not have these practices that we don't confess or say out loud but that are a direct contradiction and our hearts are saying, once I have this, I'll be satisfied. I'll look better. My identity will be a little better. I'll feel a little better about myself and it lasts usually for like a couple weeks, right? And then we need more. That's consumerism. I know though some of us, right, that stuff, there's also experiences and relationships that we consume, right? So again, I know in our day-to-day, some of us are n- minimalists. We're like, I got one outfit. I got a bike that I ride. I don't even drive a car. I, I you know, live in a little, like, closet because that's cool and ironic, and I've got some weird art that nobody understands hanging up on, you know, and I'm not, I don't consume anything, but man, I travel all over the place. I'm constantly looking at concerts and wine bars and you know, cigar shops or whatever makes me, you know. Um, I'm like 22 years old but I smoke a pipe because I like to look like a professor. And you know, we, like it's still consumerism, all right? I love you, okay? We know who we're at here, um, right? We know our context, right? So we have these things, that's still consumerism. And just real talk before we move on to the next ism is, guys, this stuff, um, this can show up everywhere. It sounds crazy, but we can consume our children. All right? I, I just, I remember when my wife and I were praying for children. Some of you guys know some of our story. We uh, walked through infertility for a long time and, and struggled, and, and there was a, a good desire there for, for children. Well, now that they're like, our kids are 11 and 6 years old, and it's not always easy. We had five soccer games yesterday to, you know, cruise around town going to, and all this stuff is difficult. Well, the Lord reminded me that so much of my vision of parenting was consumeristic, was like, well, how's what are they gonna look like? Is my little family all matching or looking cool or whatever? And right, that's gonna say about our how we show up, right? We like roll up to something as a family and we got a big family. It's so, like, we're like a po- posse, a short little hobbit <laughs> posse. But still like the image that we're gonna portray and demonstrate is we cruise up, right? And now our minivan, like doors don't even open. And it's like, and a lot of that that I struggle with is because of the consumeristic ideal that I adopted. It shows up everywhere. We do that with church. All right, we were talk- we've been talking about this a lot as elders and as a staff team and our evaluation of how we're doing so much is does our church, what does it say about us? And, and, and this, is, this is convicting stuff. And now as we transition to chapter three, there's a related idol to consumerism. They hear me for a moment. It shows up directly in chapter three, but as I press into it more, I see, wow, this is clearly one is not, um, one is definitely related to the other, and it's nationalism. And so much of our consumerism as a culture, as a people, is directly connected to n- nationalism. All right? so give me a second. Hang, hang with me. Pick up with me in chapter three and I'm going to just read this whole verse uh, one through seven to kind of set the stage of what's going on here in this Babylonian culture. All right? So here goes. So again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar is wowed, right? Daniel drops whatever his, and, you know, ancient mic was, and, and everybody's wowed. But again, things change. Here we go again, the next cycle of idolatry. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. Okay, all the who's who, right? all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of all the provinces gather. So everybody who's important for the declaration of that image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, just quick quick pause there. Okay, we're at verse 4. He's on repeat here, right, saying these things. He's saying who's there, and he's also saying this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, right? There's, again, just like when we had that image up earlier, these, these big towers that were clearly set up by the powerful kings, right? The Tower of that's exactly what that was about. It's about the 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 human powers, okay, that be culturally, nationally. Okay, that's what's being set up here. And he keeps on saying that. Verse 4. And the herald, the 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 preacher stood up and proclaimed aloud. Alright, it's the same idea here. Okay, the herald proclaimed aloud. You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that king Nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not stand up remove their hat put their hand over their heart and w- oh sorry um all right keep going here who who does whoever does not do these acts of worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace Therefore, as soon as all the, peepers, all the peoples heard the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We've got a worship uh, session going on here that is clearly and indistinguishably related to a political rally. All right? It's, I mean, I... Guys, I know this is uncomfortable, but I challenge us to read through that, and again, I kind of jokingly or maybe subtly, not so subtly slipped in there, right? Like, go through the go through the political um, procedure of honor and worship. In this case. Because, again, Nebuchadnezzar has made it very clear that if you don't do what he says, he'll rip your limbs off and throw you into a fiery furnace, right? And we live in a little more subtly powerful culture today, right? It's not presented that way, but the same is said. Listen, if you don't do these things and you don't give honor where honor is due, then, like, all hell is going to break loose on you, all right? You're going you're gonna to have to pay for that, for your irreverence. And again, clearly here, hopefully, we see some of the similarities in our day today. I know it's uncomfortable right now, but let's press in, okay, a little bit more before we hear more of the good news here. But we've got to recognize the direct connection to where we are today. This is nationalism. The idolatry of nationalism is clearly on display here. And so, what's going on? What's not going on? All right. I don't know what my iPad just did. So, I got to, I'm trying, I, I, I want to read through this. I don't usually use notes as much, but I want to get this right. OK. Um, so, let me explain what we're talking about, what we're not talking about here. OK, what's going on there, what we just read that should apply to us, and what should not? All right. Again, nationalism. I think is what we're clearly seeing here and what we fall very vulnerable to today in our cultural context that is clearly abhorring to God and dangerous to us. Okay, first, what is it not? It's not being thankful for your country, your nation. It's not honoring. It's not serving. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, it's not, okay, God clearly says, right, to respect and honor your authorities that have been placed over you, whether you agree with them or not, to to, to have these things that, did, okay, again, to be thankful for, for what God has provided, to um, just even quick aside, I even thought of when Jesus met the Ro- Roman centurion on the road and, and he healed his, his, his son who was back laying door, and then he didn't say, hey, and by the way, Quit your, quit, your, quit your military service and repent of it, and then you can be a part of my kingdom. Jesus didn't say that at all, right? He, 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 I think in this case, he even transformed someone's heart who was in a position of power and influence and sent him to continue in that and to use that role and relationship for God's glory, right? We've had military officers up here share their, their story of how they love God and love their neighbor and what they do, my, one of my, my proudest things, some of you guys, if you know me well, is um, some of the military heritage in my family. My, my grandfather was a Pearl Harbor survivor and he... Rung wrote a little book and it's awesome. I, I, and I, I love talking, I, you know, I talk about how I pretend like when I'm out on a run that I'm a Navy SEAL and the A-10s are my air support. And, you know, I'm still like a little kid in these ways. And it's, it's not like, oh, well, all that's bad, right? Or um, my dad met my mom because my dad was in the service and my mom was on vacation from England and they met and, and that's how I wouldn't be here. If, and then my dad came back and was a police officer, and then a construction worker. Those are like the three most patriotic things, right? You could be, right? Like a military, police officer, construction worker, right? Like he was, he was this, and that, that's not, it's not don't, don't be thankful, don't serve your country. Similarly, it's not talking about like a, um, a, a, a weaker economical debate of like strong nation versus globalization, all right, that's a good debate to be had, a good conversation to be had. I don't even fully understand it, but I know it's important. All right? And we, that's a good conversation to be had. That's not what we're talking about here. It's, oh, just all be flipping and just go, everything goes. What we are saying when nationalism comes in, when it becomes clearly distinct from patriotism, is when, when your vision for your country and your relationship with, with every other um, human or person or people group or nation is now trumped, uh, or now trumps your faith in God. When anything now, now serves, serves um, your faith in God is, is, is now flipped on its head and is changed or is, or is, or is kinda answering to some other allegiance, that's idolatry. God has a problem with that. And that's what was going on here in this Babylonian context. And just to be real here, as we get into this, there's a clear conservative and progressive expression that could happen. All right, again, there's a clear falling off to the right and falling off to the left that both can be expressions of a particular political vision or ideal that, that replaces God's headship and God's oversight. And again, we could trip up and fall into either ditch of destruction on either side. Okay, and so I'm going to pick up some steam here, but I'm going to have them up here. I'm going to walk through them as we go. There are three expressions that we could come as God's people, right? This big idea here is, is right to be, is that we are exiles in a foreign land. What does it look like to have a faithful presence as God's people, as exiles in a foreign land? There are three postures that we could take on. The first one is God bless America. Okay, now let me be clear. It's not don't sing that song, all right? My kids just yesterday sang that song in English and in Spanish, okay? All my four kids playing in mariachi group and, and here, every, every concert they do, they sing God Bless America and people stand and it's this great thing. It's not, you can't say that, but it's this. Okay, hear me right now. It's when you say, we're gonna do whatever we wanna do and as long as we baptize it with in God we trust, then it's cool. We could do whatever we want to do. We could serve our own agenda. We could do whatever. We could treat other people however we want. But as long as you slap God on it, as long as you say God, country, family, in that order, and you keep these things, whatever, then you can just go fair game, right? You could drive whatever car you want, and as long as you slap the right bumper stickers on it, you could run over whatever kind of people you want to run over. But as long as it has a little fishy on the back, metaphorically, then it's cool, right? That's what we're talking about here. That's what that posture that we tend to take on. And I, again, I see it in my own heart, in my own family, the, the temptation to do this. Hey guys, I just want to say like, the church, the, the church probably in a lot of ways that our tribe, if you will, runs with, is, is vulnerable to prostituting ourselves out to that kind of nationalism and as long as people have the same, say the right kind of language right say they read the right kind of devotional that we read then then okay cool like and we get hustled and we're no longer God's people living with the faithful presence cuz we're getting kind of duped And that's what this looks like is this posture that we can fall on the right. That's God bless America. As long as you say that, do whatever you want. The other posture, all right? And we've said this before. We can all take comfort in knowing that we're going to be uncomfortable together. Let me explain that really quickly. That doesn't mean, hey, we should just, it's the whole point is just to be edgy and uncomfortable. All right? But we clearly see in the person and work of Jesus, in his ministry, we see this here, is that he's not worried about getting more followers, all right, Jesus isn't worried about how many little heart clicks he gets on his Instagram account. All right, he's not worried about that. He's worried about calling his people to faithful discipleship, to be faithful, obedient followers, to be transformed people. And, and when we get hustled and wooed um, to the right or to the left, to, uh, where he, that's why he says, again, I have a narrow and difficult road, and I love you too much to not say uncomfortable things, to call you to be my followers. So that's what that phrase means. I know it's uncomfortable, okay? We just push on that side, God bless America. The other posture, God leave America. And that's this other idea that, again, some of us probably prescribe to or think to or are, are drinking in and don't even recognize it, is, hey, is, it. And it's ultimately saying as far away from God as we get, all right, then the, the better off we are. Right, you can, don't don't talk about Christmas, like, as long as you just say holiday, as long as you kind of slip it in there, don't talk about Jesus coming, or if you do, like, just make it kind of vanilla, and kind of palatable, and easy, and that's dangerous, all right, we make it clear here that, and even as we see in Daniel throughout, the De- Nebuchadnezzar's posture is constantly, you can add your God to the mix. I'm cool with that, but don't tell me that he stands alone or above. Then I'm going to throw you into a furnace, all right? Then I'm going to put you on public scorn. you're going to lose your job. In our context, it looks a little different, but it's the same message, don't 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 say things like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Okay, because that, that doesn't sound very tolerable. All right, I, I can't do that. God bless America, God leave America. The third posture that I think we're called to is America bless God. As Lord as Again, recognizing, God, you've given us a lot. We have a lot of good things. There's a lot to be thankful for. There is a lot to fight for. There's a lot to dig in for. But Lord, all that we have, how is it used for your glory and the good of our neighbor? Everything that you've given us, how could our country, how could our, our systems, our structures, our relationships, our votes, Lord, how is this used to love you and love our neighbor? Jesus says that's the greatest commandment. All right, we don't have much time, but we got to keep pressing in here. That's what God calls us to. And then let me just read here. And and there's one more thing I want us to really hunker down in. We got some time? We good? Are y'all tracking with me? Give me an amen. All right. All right, so um, this is important, all right? Next week's going to be like 15 minutes, by the way. Because I'm not preaching, so um, whoever it is, no. Okay, let me just read here this posture. Imagine with me, right, as we read, picking up chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, imagine if this was our posture, wherever we find ourselves, when we're in the, is, you can do whatever you want, God bless America, and it's all good, or God, leave America, wherever we find ourselves, when we're trying to live as a, a counterintuitive, faithful presence, what if we had this kind of of posture. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Because he's like, are you going to bow down and worship this big thing I just set up? Clearly my nation and my identity and my image is, is the best. Are you going to acknowledge this or else endure public scorn or getting thrown in a fire? Um, are, are you going to do that? And this is how they answer. Oh, I like to think it's like silly Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We will worship God and God alone. We will love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. We will be his faithful people. And whatever you threaten us with, we're not going to bend this way or that way. So what do we do with this? As we kind of land the plane a little, consider what do we do? And I said kind of land the plane. That's a slow landing. Okay. Sometimes pastors say, I, last thing, and then it's like 20 more minutes. Okay. Um, so, Okay, we gotta, we're, we're beginning our descent, all right? You with me? So keep your seatbelts on, but we're still landing here, okay? Um, you, can, you can get up and go to the bathroom if you really, really have to. All right, so w- what do we do in our culture? Well, this guy Larry Hurtado um, is talking about the early church, and he says this is how we relate, how we consider, right, in our moment right now, in our cultural moment where we are, Okay, in Tucson, Arizona, a uh, fairly diverse demographic in this room right now, what do we do with this? How do we live as God's faithful people while exiles in a foreign land? What do we do with this? Well, we look at this guy He's referring t- to the early church and how the early church... Was formed, And if you don't remember this, go back to our series in Acts, like maybe two years ago and we walked through the church coming together. It was not easy. It was not pretty. It was not, oh, we all look the same. We all vote the same. We all talk the same. We all, it, was, it, it was a very um, stretched, multicultural group of people. And yet, this is what it looked like to be God's faithful people. And what could we learn from this? There are five marks of the early church that I think we could consider. And the first one was this, God's people were multi-ethnic. It was the most multi-ethnic, multi-racial community the world had ever seen. There was, and this is not social gospel, this is not inserting into God's word. I challenge anyone, and I don't mean to be mean here, but I I just, I challenge you to read God's word and not see this is clearly his message, is reconciliation. All right, if you, if you don't think reconciliation is the gospel, then I don't think you believe the gospel. All right, and so it is so clearly God's heart for his people. Look ahead to Revelation chapter seven. The final day is every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together that would otherwise not come together. There would be fighting and riots and wars, if not for the good news of Jesus, Amen. That's God's work, and that's what his people are called to look like. When Jesus came and said, my kingdom come, my kingdom is at hand, and he calls us to say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done now on earth as in heaven, he doesn't mean one day when we're like floating angels, we'll all just get along. Jesus says, no, right now it's coming, and it's not going to be easy, but this is what my people look like. It's multi-ethnic. Second, it's heart for the poor, It's it's just you can't look any other way. Jesus gets more fired up when he's calling people to faithfulness about how they misuse their privilege and their power and their resources. And so his people had radical generosity, especially toward the poor. This was in an age when there was no social services, right? You couldn't say, oh, the state will take care of that. God said, no, you're my people. I've given you these resources. Now love your neighbor with those things, with your relationships, with, with your money, with your stuff, with your place. Okay, a radical love for the poor. Number three, it was forgiving. Love of enemy, radical forgiveness, non-retaliatory in a in a context of persecution there was this reconciling posture again everybody right i'm like think about it here okay the left the right everyone there was this generosity toward the other toward and it wasn't oh we all agree it's really easy it's i can't stand what you just said and i don't understand in my heart how you could be a follower of jesus and say that or vote that way but you're my brother or sister in christ And I want to understand. I'm going to be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. God's people looked that way. Number four, his people were pro-life. They were clearly anti-abortion, anti-infanticide. They were literally taking babies that had been abandoned on trash heaps. They saved them. They welcomed them foster care and adoption was was showing up no one else societally was doing this kind of thing but God's people had such a love for life were so pro life as we just looked at there before birth and after birth all right God's people were pro life and then number 5 they had a strong sexual ethic okay the first sexual re- revolution was not in the whatever 50s and 60s and 70s it was in Rome As far as we know, historically, Rome had all kinds of crazy sexual stuff going on. It was to each his own. And the way it looked was this. There was no consent. It was whoever had the most power got to do whatever they wanted to and with the people with the least amount of power. And yet God's word, God's message was, no, 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 that's not what sex is designed for. Sex is meant to be all power, including in the context of sex, is meant to be you lay down your rights to serve the other. And it happens in the context of covenantal, dying to self and becoming one. Before God. That's what that's what sexual intimacy looks like. And again, there was this powerful message of sexual ethic that was about laying down your rights and your power for the good of, of, of the one person, your, your spouse, your husband, or, or your wife. Okay, and this was counterintuitive and it was and it was it was beautiful and good. Now quickly a kind of current day prophet of our day, Timothy Keller, observes, as maybe some of us have in here, when he is referring to this, he says, look at this. If we're honest with ourselves, when you read through that list and keep them up there, right, the, the r- red states, if you will, or the, or, the, or the right, and maybe even in here has happened, are like standing up for numbers four and five. We're like, amen, that is God's message, that's his plan, that's what it means, and that's it. Uh, number one and number two I don't know not so much I mean ah, what do you mean by poor what do you mean by multi you know and like kind of kind of get a little quiet and a little uncomfortable and would affirm numbers four and five but probably not so much numbers one and two and then on the flip side maybe even in here people that would be amening numbers one and two and say that's the kingdom of God the kingdom come your will be done here on earth as is in heaven but whoa 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 like pro-life and sexual ethic like I don't know about that. You start saying that stuff, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. All right, you can't be one of us and you can't care about, you can't care about multi-ethnicity and the poor if you, if you also stand strong on numbers four and five. And let's be real, nobody embraces number three, right? Right? No one's, no one's being slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger. But clearly God's heart for his people is that all of those are true. It's a completely different kingdom. It doesn't blend easily with the kingdoms of this world. And I'll just kind of close it there. All right, hopefully we're left wondering, asking ourselves, God, as you've called us to be faithful, is my allegiance stronger to anything else? Or is my first is the is the filter through which I evaluate everything, every relationship, everything I have, loving God and loving my neighbor. As exiles in a foreign land, standing strong, remaining faithful because God has been faithful to us, we are called to be faithful to Him. All right, let's let's close and pray together. Heavenly Father. Um, you're forming us as a people in this room, as a young church, church plant, still kind of figuring out its identity, still kind of getting into its stride. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. Lord, we pray that we would repent of the ways we've gotten it wrong and perhaps even are, are almost certainly are currently getting it wrong. But Lord, we, we know that you have been faithful to us. We didn't get to get into it there, but we saw when those three were thrown into the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar looked in, there was a fourth, almost certainly the pre-incarnation of Jesus with, present with, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, Lord, because of your faithful presence with us. God, we look to you to lead us to be your faithful faithful people. In Jesus' name, amen.